one and all. Thank you to you, Laura Cross. Seats, please. Who's met someone new? Isn't it great to meet new people? Well, my name's Tom. I'm another elder here, pastor here at the church. Another warm welcome to you here. If it's your first time or if it's your thousandth and first time, a warm, warm welcome to you to the City Church. Um, today, we start our brand new preaching series. Um, I've had several people say to me that there was a genuine sadness as we finished our previous one, which was dramatically entitled Death by Love. Um, and I share that sadness in the sense that the last few months have been amazing looking uh, at the gospel. What is the gospel? And I would just encourage you, if you perhaps haven't been around for that, I, I believe it was quite a special little series. God was really owning it in a very specific way, and it's just a bedrock kind of series to have in your heart. So please do download it if you haven't done. But today, we are plunging headlong into the glories of Genesis. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. Genesis is right at the start of your Bible, if you're new to this whole kind of Bible thing. And uh, Genesis is quite a big book, but it's a very, very important book. So we have, over the last two years, we've been doing sections of Genesis. We started two years ago uh, with our first part, which was Genesis 1 to 11, looking at how God made everything. Woohoo! But then everything went wrong. Boo! But God in his grace didn't give up on us. And so we then crashed into part two a year ago uh, this, this month. Genesis part two was chapter 12 to 24. And how God, despite the fact that the whole world had turned its back on him, amazingly launched a rescue plan through a very normal guy called Abraham. Thank you, one person. Abraham, you see you have learned so much. Abraham, normal guy like you and me, but God came upon him and said, through you and through your son, 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 eventually there will be one born whose name will be Jesus and he will be quite special. He will save the world from its sin. So that was part two, dramatically entitled The Rescue Begins, a year ago. But today we come upon part three and for the next two or three months we're going to be looking at the person of Jacob. It's not just going to be exclusively about Jacob, but particularly about Jacob. Jacob's grandfather was Abraham, the guy who everything started with in terms of the rescue. And then we're going to see that Abraham's son, Isaac, was chosen. And today we're going to be looking particularly at Isaac and his son, Jacob. And if you're trying to kind of just get a rough idea of what is this section of scripture going to be like, chapters 25 to 35 or thereabouts, Roughly speaking, we've had two big chunks of scripture that have been very dramatic. You could say the start of the universe is a fairly dramatic thing. You could say that God dramatically coming upon a guy called Abraham is fairly dramatic. You could say that the final section that we will come to one day on Joseph. If you know anything about Joseph, you know, it's like a Hollywood film. Joseph is this extraordinary guy who in so many ways just makes so many brilliant, brilliant moves. And then we come to Jacob. Bah, bah. The, the story of Jacob and his family, in contrast to a Hollywood film, it's a bit more like an, an episode from EastEnders. You know, you've got kind of heartache, you've got blunders, you've got backbiting, you've got favouritism in parents. You've got some great moments in there, but it's very, very real. It's very real. And so that's the kind of flavour of things that we come to in our, in our series today, starting our, our third part of Genesis, entitled Jacob... Flawed, yet chosen. We're going to see a man who in very, very many ways was genuinely flawed. 
And yet this extraordinary second truth that despite that, by God's grace, he was chosen to actually fulfill the great plan of God coming through normal men and women to save planet Earth. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's great, that's going to be interesting, but how, oh Tom, is this relevant to me here in East Kent in the 21st century? Well, I want to say this, guys, is that the great news is this, is that 4,000 years ago or something, or whenever, a long time ago, whenever Jacob lived anyway, God's plan and his design, the way that he worked, was to choose a flawed person. Right, that was how he did things. With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, it goes on. And the good news is this, is that if you know Jesus today, you are flawed, and yet you are chosen. And what we see, therefore, is that the timeless ancient method of God choosing a flawed man or woman to fulfill his purposes is still how he works today. And so actually, even though the stories we're going to look at are ancient, they're thousands of years old, what you will find if you look at these with eyes to see and ears to hear is that actually they're going to be like a toolkit that you as a flawed yet chosen person, if you know Jesus, you will actually find, hmm, I can see so many parallels with my life. And the good news is this, is that we can learn from the triumphs. We can learn when they get it right, but we can also learn when they get it wrong. Because God includes all the things that we see in their life, the positive and the negatives, so that we here today, as flawed yet chosen people, can learn to run our time well. Who wants to, when they meet Jesus, who wants to have run their life well? Who wants to have run well after God? Yeah, I do. And the great thing is, is that we can do that. This gives us incredible hope. And the first really practical lesson, the first tool that we're going to lift out of the bag this morning, that we're going to learn from Jacob, his brother, and his mum and dad is this. Are you ready for this? Dealing with delay. When in your life there appears to be something of a delay between God saying this is going to happen and then it actually happened. Anyone here just in any small way resonate with that slight issue? Yes. As Christians, if you haven't ever experienced that, you will. And probably what you'll find is, is that the older you get, the more mature in God you get, perhaps you'll find that this sort of issue becomes more and more a daily part of your life. And what we're going to see today is this. We're going to see mum and dad doing superbly well. So if there's any mum and dads here, you can pat yourself on the back. When they deal with delay, they are going to be just an example to pursue. But then God, in his kindness, he also includes two boys, two brothers, who when they have much smaller um, delays in their life that they need to deal with, we're going to see that they actually do really rather badly. And so we can learn from the positive and the negative. So let's read then from chapter 5, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. 
The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. Nice. So they called his name Esau, which means hairy. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, the grabber, it means. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the, kid, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, man of the field, Bear Grylls type, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents playing on his wee. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Remember that, favoritism, not good. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his nickname was Edom, which means red because he liked red stuff, and he was red when he came out of the baby. <laughs> Jacob said, sell me your birthright now, you meanie. Esau said, I'm about to die, of what use is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, mm, yummy, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Your word is perfect, spotless. It is absolutely life to us. I want to ask that you will now shape our thinking, shape our hearts, change us, mould us to be a people of maturity who run after you. We love you. Oh, wonderful Holy Spirit, we again just say, come upon us, cloak us in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've got two parts to this morning's sermon. Only two. Sometimes preachers have three. I'm, I'm being kind to you. Just two today. Part one is this. One huge truth to get our heads and our hearts around that if we get this it should in theory equip us to do well when we have a test of delay one huge truth but then secondly we're going to look at two different sets of response in two different generations mum and dad and the, bro and the bros when they deal with response so we're going to kind of look at the theory and then we're going to get onto the fun stuff the actual nitty-gritty real life examples of outworking that truth that we're going to spend a few moments looking at so, I need a volunteer. A volunteer, please. Gustav Stramvik, thank you so much. Hope you come. Come on, quick, quick, sir. Time is of the essence. Can you stand over on my right, just over here? You're going to hold this rather wonderful, wonderful, there, just down there, thanks. You stand down there, that's good. High in the air, please, just to test your muscles. You've got about 10 minutes of that. Okay, what do these words say? One, two, three. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. This is the first part of the big, huge truth we have to get our heads around. Now, we've looked at this as a church before, but guess what? We will keep doing this because it's a huge, huge aspect of our faith. What does it mean? What it means is this, is that God is the king. He has sovereign rule. What it means is this, is that God, the Christian God, the God of Jacob, Isaac and Abraham, he isn't some little God who responds to what's happening in this world, getting shocked when things happen. He is the reigning, ruling, supreme, conquering, omniscient, omnipotent God of the universe. Can I have an applause for saying those long words, please? Thank you. He is utterly in control. He is independent. He needs no one else. He is the source of all life. He has the world in his hands. He is outside of time. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the king, okay? He has a plan. Say he has a plan. He, has a plan. he really has a plan. You don't have to repeat that. He really has a plan. He really has a plan. Now, this is huge because when you look through scripture from Genesis to Revelation, this is evidence. 
We see right at the beginning, God chooses to make the world, the universe. He chooses to make somewhere called planet Earth. He chooses sovereignly to make Earth the centre of his attention, not Saturn. Why? Because God's the boss and he has a plan. He then makes all the nice stuff on planet Earth. And at the centre, at the pinnacle of creation, he makes Adam and Eve, humans. And he declares that they uniquely will be the only thing that's made in his image. Why them? You know, why not giraffes? Because God is sovereign. God is the boss and he has a plan. We see that then God, once things go wrong in Genesis 3, instead of just finishing things and saying, well, they've sinned and turned against me. No, no. Genesis 3.15 tells us that God speaks about a rescue plan. Why? Because God is the boss and he has a plan. We see that God then sovereignly chooses a man called Noah. He judges the rest of the world, but he chooses Noah out of grace. Why? Because God is the boss and he has a, a plan. We then see it continues on. We see that then God, later on in Genesis 12, he picks a man called Abraham. Nothing special about Abraham. Why Abraham and not other people? Because God is the boss and he has a plan. We see that God then chooses for a season for Abraham's wife to be barren and then to heal her. Why? Because he's the boss and he has a plan. We're going to see that God continues all throughout scriptures demonstrating his sovereignty. We have to get that into our hearts. We can then see. You ready to start? I keep holding it. Thank you. We then see. That a man called David, the youngest of the clan, is picked out of all his brothers to be the king of Israel. Why? Because God is the boss and he has a plan. We can then see, though, that surprisingly, it's not David who builds the temple. It's his son, Solomon. Why? Because God is the boss and he has a plan. We're going to then see this roll right into the New Testament. We're going to see a man called John the Baptist raised up to proclaim, there's one coming after me who's pretty important. Why John the Baptist? Why not someone else? Because God is sovereign. He's the boss and he has a plan. We then see Jesus picks and chooses 12 men. Why not 13? Why not 15? You know, less people offended. Because Jesus is God. He's sovereign. He's the boss and he has a plan. We can then see that God then speaks to Peter and says, Peter, I want you to tell the Jews about Jesus. He's then going to say to Paul, I want you to speak to the Gentiles about Jesus. Why that way around? Because God is the boss and he has a plan. There are many other examples I could give, but I won't. I think you get the point. And so you see, when we therefore come to this section of scripture, it is no different. God here, he blesses. He blesses Ishmael, but he picks, he chooses Isaac. God here, he says to him, he says, listen, he says, you know, I'm going to make the younger be served by the older. Why? Because God is the boss and he has a plan. He says that these two boys are going to, they're going to represent and lead two entire nations. They're going to be at war against each other. Why? Because God is the boss and he has a plan. He chooses Jacob. He chooses Jacob. Now this is, this is actually very, very, very good news. Because you see, it's the same God who sovereignly has a plan and chooses that if you know Jesus here today, do you know something? You have been chosen by him. That he has chosen you. The fact 
that you have faith in God, if you know Jesus, is not because you worked it out in Sunday school or because you thought it was a good thing to, you know, give a try. It was because the sovereign God of the universe chose you. It's because he chose you. And this changes everything. And in Romans 9, it asks the obvious question, which we all think of, well, isn't that a bit unfair? You know, what about Esau? And God just simply says, what right has the clay got to wag a finger at the potter? God displays his mercy upon whom he has mercy. God is a God of justice all the time. God is a God of mercy all the time. And God is a God of grace all the time. And when we get this in our hearts, it changes everything. Because what we realize is that God did not choose Jacob or Isaac, his father, because of anything special in them. Actually, quite the opposite, because they were very normal. Um, one, uh, one pastor says these words. He says, Jacob, I'm sorry to say, had many flaws. God chose him not because of anything in him, but because he chose him. God's love for Jacob is so great that in comparison, it's as though he hates Esau. We have to ask ourselves a simple question. If we're a Christian, is it because of something in us or is it because of something God has done for us? When we look at an unbeliever, do we feel superior to them? Or does it make us tremble to think that God could also have passed us by and left us in the mess we have made of our lives? This is huge. Listen to this. The story of Jacob, therefore, is the story of God's unstoppable mission. Nothing Jacob can do will stop God's determination to bless him. It's not about Jacob. It's about God. He's a man who makes me feel like saying, well, if God can use him, perhaps he can use me too. We see in the life of Jacob that it is not really at all about him. We often say in this world, oh, it's all about Jesus. But Jacob's life truly was all about Jesus. It was all about a plan that God had set in motion to call a people to himself. God is the boss and he has a plan. But in addition to that amazing truth, I need a second volunteer. Who's going to run up here? Thank you, Ashley Hobbs. Let's welcome Ashley Hobbs. Oh, he's on the stage. Could you go on the floor, actually? Sorry about that. Just so that it shows that they're equal. Not because I don't mind sharing the stage. Show that they're equal. <laughs> you see, this is the other truth that you come across in Scripture that we have to get in our... It's, it's this one huge truth that we have to get our minds around with two parts, just to make sure they can see it right over there, is that in addition to God being sovereign, yet our actions, our attitudes, the choices that we make matter. Now, when we think about this, this seems at first somewhat perplexing. If God has got a plan... If he knows the beginning from the end, if he's absolutely super in control, how does it really matter what O.I., Tom Shaw, or Gustav Stramvik, or Ashley Hobbs do with our life? How can we, little ants, really affect the destiny of God? And we can almost think, if we apply this too strongly, God is sovereign, that although that's great, it kind of makes me feel a bit hemmed in in my life. If God's this sort of super control God, then I'm just going to kind of live my life and, you know, God's God and so whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And although that's kind of comforting, at one level it can make me feel kind of things are very rigid and that I'm almost hemmed in. But what we see is this, is that this truth, our actions and our attitudes and the choices that we make mysteriously in a way that we can't really comprehend is also so evident in Scripture. So when things go wrong, when people choose to make wrong choices, when Adam and Eve sin, it matters. We see that when in Genesis 6, it says the whole world was pursuing evil, it matters because God's heart gets grieved. 
We see when, when Abraham tries to fast forward God's purposes and sleeps with his maidservant in order to have the son that God had promised, it matters. So things negatively matter our actions, but also positively. You see, when Noah said, okay, Lord, I believe you, I'm going to build an ark. He was actually partnering with God and bringing God's sovereign plan to bear. We're going to see that when Abraham, when Abraham obeyed God and left Haran and went to where God told him to, it mattered that he was obedient. It mattered when, when Abraham heard God say, um, I want you to take up your only son and offer him as a sacrifice. The fact that he was obedient actually mattered. Do you see that? Yes, God is sovereign, but our actions hugely matter. Let's thank these two wonderful men for their service. Thank you. Well done, chaps. So you're sitting there thinking, nice theology lesson, Tom. Thanks a lot. Now, off to work I go. How is that relevant to my life? Well, actually, this huge theological truth that, you know, different theologians have emphasized different aspects since the dawn of time. This central truth that God is sovereign and yet our actions matter actually is hugely relevant. It is hugely relevant as we look to outwork our lives following Jesus. And I would want to say that it's hugely relevant when we come to the very, very common test of dealing with delay. And now we're going to look at two different sets of examples. The mum and dad, who when they face a delay, knowing that God is sovereign and yet their actions matter, they get a double gold star, a super plus. They just get it bang on right. And that's an example we're going to look at first to pursue. But then we're going to look at Esau and Jacob, who had their own tests of delay, much more insignificant actually. And yet, sadly, they both do rather badly. But we can learn from them as well. And how we as a people, knowing that God is sovereign and yet our actions matter, how does that, what does that mean practically when I face this issue in my life of an apparent delay. Okay, so first of all then, we're going to look at Isaac and Rebecca. What's the issue of delay they are facing? You can anyone shout it out? We've just read it. She's barren. Okay, now so this is interesting because God has said, through you, Isaac, you're going to have a child and that will continue the line of promise until one day Jesus is born. And so they are facing... This, this apparent delay. Anyone here who's good at maths from the text work out how long the delay is? It does say it. 20 years. Well done, Ryan Duffy. Double gold star to you, sir. He's 40 when he gets married. And he's 60 when they are born. Let that sink in for a moment. For 20 years, for 20 years, God's delay is upon them. And the first thing I want to just very simply draw out here is, when the delay comes, who is it that we read about first that leaps into action? Who is it? It's Isaac. We see that Isaac, it says here, Isaac prays to God. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Simple application point first of all. Men. Men who are married, men who want to get married, Look at the example of Isaac. He led. When the problem came their way, it wasn't it's her problem. They shared it and he led. You see, the reason right at the beginning that everything went wrong was because Adam abdicated his leadership responsibility. That's why God went to him and said, hey, what's going on here? 
And we see here wonderfully is that Isaac corrects that original mistake. He says, okay, I'm not going to abdicate and flake out. I'm actually going to hear, I'm going to lift, as it says, 1 Timothy 2. Paul says, I desire in all places that men, that men should lift hands to their Lord in prayer. God wants men and women to pray. But I just want to nail the men for a moment here. I want to say, listen, as men... If you are married or you want to be married, I would humbly want to suggest the primary way we can lead is through being intercessors for our families and our wives. Is that we are men that pray into reality the things that God has promised us. That we are men who take responsibility in the prayer room. That we're not just, you know, frenetically active in other ways and we, oh, we occasionally, you know, shoot up a prayer to God. No, no, we realise that that wasn't Isaac. Why was he like this? His father, Abraham, was like this. His father, Abraham, made plenty of mistakes. But Abraham, famously, when God was about to judge Sodom, Abraham interceded and God heard his cry. There's another incident where there's a Philistine woman who was barren. And it says that Abraham interceded. He prayed to God and God answered his prayer. So Isaac had grown up seeing his dad as an intercessor. Flawed and yet a man who, when delays came his way... The key, 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 key thing, and your big takeaway, our big takeaway today, is when that happens, we pray. I'm sorry it's not more innovative. I'm sorry I haven't got anything cooler. You know, I could try and jazz it up linguistically. It's prayer, okay? It's just prayer. It's the most wonderful, passionate thing that we need to give ourselves to. He prays. He leads. He prays for their situation. And then God answers. And what we see then is that the troubles continue because we then see first time mum Rebecca, all hell is breaking loose in her tummy. It says that there's two nations boshing and you know, she can see little sort of, you know, ankles and fists and, and she's nervous. She's worried what on earth's going on. So what does she do? She prays. Now she may well have been an intercessor anyway, but maybe her husband's example had inspired her. They were a couple who prayed together. Okay, they were a couple who prayed. They prayed. I've heard the phrase, uh, couples who pray together, stay together. It's a bit cheesy, but I think it's pretty true. Do you know what? If you're a Christian and you're married, this is actually really, really huge. I will honestly say to you that me and Josie, we don't find it easy to pray together. And at one level, you can just go, oh, you know, well, there you are. we're different. <laughs> we're different and, you know, never mind. I actually think, and I don't want to hype this up, I, we do have an enemy. We really do. And he doesn't want couples to pray together. He doesn't want couples who, when they have an obstacle, they turn the obstacle into something that binds us together in the presence of God. He doesn't want that. And we, as a people, have to learn from this that, yes, in tough times, but in good times as well, as couples, we are those that pray together. We, me and Josie just recently said, well, we, we, need to, we need to work this out. We need to make sure this is far more regular part of our life. And, and I hope that's encouraging to those of you who are either married or looking to get married. Some of you may just find it the easiest thing in the world. God bless you. A lot of us don't. It needs something that we actually that we, we give ourselves to. So that when the trials come, it's not this, just this new thing we've got to give a go. But it's actually part of who we are. Abraham prays. Sorry, not Isaac prays. And Rebecca prays. For 20 years. 20? 20 years. God persists in allowing this barrenness. 20 years. I mean, you know, 20 minutes for me would be a challenge, praying the same kind of thing. I mean, 
How would you sort of, what, how, how would you be like, Lord, can you, can you give us a baby? Lord, Lord, I pray again. Can you, can you give us a, a child, please, Lord? Amen. Lord, I just pray for 20 years. I mean, just let that sink in. 20 years. The Bible, the Bible is so different to the age in which we live. The timescales of scripture are just, they're a whole sermon in themselves. Seriously, it is the most comforting thing in the world to know when there's a delay in your life, when you look at scripture, and often it's just a little throwaway comment, like 60 years, and you think, oh, right. oh wait a minute, that's, that's a 20-year delay. He was persisting in prayer. It wasn't just a one-off burst of prayer. It was 20 years of persisting in prayer. That's amazing. His action, knowing that God is sovereign, his primary action he gave himself was not just prayer, it was persistent prayer. And in Hebrews, it says this, it says, the writer of Hebrews says, I don't want you to be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience, faith and patience inherit the promise. Do you see that? Faith, cool, wow, men in white suits and, you know, kind of, woohoo, Holy Spirit power. Patience, that's a bit every day, isn't it? No, together. You see, if we're just big on faith, big on powerful prayers for seven seconds, that's fine. But actually, God says, no, no, couple it with persistence. Couple it with ongoing, persevering heart after God. We see timescales in the Bible are huge. Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for the birth of Isaac. We're going to see later in the story, famously, Jacob had to wait how long before he got his girl? 14 years. We're going to see later on that Joseph, after having a breakdown relationship with his brother, he has to wait over 20 years before there's reconciliation. The timescales of the Bible are huge. Psalm 31 says, my time is in your hands. My time is in your hands. God calls us so often. God is a God of the delay. He is a God of the, of the delay. And so actually today, we need to be a people who realize that the primary thing that we give ourselves when we face those delays in our life, the primary thing, it, it might not be as something as, as dramatic and sensitive as, as praying, God, would you give us a child? It may be that you're saying, God, give birth to our cell group coming alive in God. God, make it happen. It may be that it's giving, but some of you here I know have been called to church plant one day all over this world. Praise God. And I know many of you, there's a, in your heart, there's something of a delay. Hey, listen, you're in good company. You're in good company with scriptural men and women who experience delay. When you're in those situations, you're to give yourself to persistent prayer. To persistent prayer. For some of you, it may be you really feel God has given you a promise that in your work environment, there's going to be dramatic and amazing breakthrough with those who don't know Christ yet. And you're like, what's going on? I, I, I feel like I'm doing everything I can. Whenever I can, I'm bringing in Christ, connecting the gospel. But there's just, it's just, uh, I feel like I'm banging my head against a wall. Hey, God would say he's a God of the delays. And in that time, you're to give yourself to persistent prayer. For us as a church, we, we believe God's spoken to us about coming upon us with his manifold, manifest presence. We've had many significant prophetic words about this, that God is going to visit us, come upon us with his heavy, 
awesome, scary, amazing, life-changing, city-changing presence. I'm not just saying like a hypey thing. I'm saying that we really believe that we are, that we're going to see this. We're going to see this come upon us. What do we do when there is an apparent delay in our expectations of it? We give ourselves to persistent prayer. We believe God has spoken to us as a church about actually the next season for us involving our, our own facility, a building that will serve his purposes of spreading the good news into this, into this community. And most of you who are part of the church will know that it was over three years ago that I spoke about the opportunity that we have been working with that seems to have opened up and, and, and we're still pursuing. Just in case you wonder, we are still pursuing, we still believe that when you look at this compared with what we could probably try and do in our own strength, this seems to have God on it. So what have, what have I been doing? What have we as a team been doing? What has we as a building team been doing? Persisting in prayer, because that's what we're meant to do. That's what we do. Do you, under, did you see what I'm saying here? This is huge. This is absolutely huge. Prayer, prayer is not something for a few keenies. Prayer is something for the people of God. It is something that should mark out every Christian, yes, in times when it's tough, but in times throughout our life. You see, prayer works. Put it like this. If you're a businessman, okay, and you've got a shop, and there's one product that just keeps flying off the shelves, what do you do? You invest in that product, don't you? You probably clear the other shelves a bit, you make room, and you put all your resources into that shelf because that's the thing that is shifting. That's what good business, I'm told from Dragon's Den, do. They, they spot the thing that actually has got a market, they call it, and they go for it, and they put all their resources into the thing that shifts. Because if they put their resources in, the profit they'll get back is tenfold. All the business people are going, wow, I'm amazed. Tom actually has got something of the world of business. Now apply that. Scripture tells us prayer is the product that shifts. It's the thing that works. Now our lives have got so many shelves, so many different things that we can give ourselves to. But just as in business, you wouldn't say, oh, well, I like the other things. They look pretty. Who cares? Business is about getting results. You clear the shelves and you go for that one thing that is shifting and you pour your resources into it because the profit you get back will be massive. Let me humbly say this. Scripture booms out. Prayer works. It works. It actually changes things. And if the enemy can just get us to not really believe that, and so we don't actually focus our resources, you know, it's like a one tin of beans and we've got all these other things in our life. Oh, I'll pray a bit. Because clear the shelves. Clear them. We will not see a city changed through strategy. We won't, we won't see a, a, a city changed through a nice website or through, you know, good stuff. We will see it change through a people who are burdened for prayer, given to prayer, and at the overflow of that are anointed by God to carry the good news with boldness and with great confidence. That is what we see throughout Scripture. It isn't about logic. It's about clearing the shelves that that product, that thing, that is prayer, that actually will yield the greatest, greatest, wonderful spiritual rewards. I'm not talking materially. I'm saying spiritually. We're called to be a people who give ourselves to it. You see, the enemy tells us, oh, it's hard. It's not hard. How, how can talking to the person who loves you more than you could ever possibly conceive? Think of the person in your life who loves you the most. It might be uh, your husband or wife. It might be your mum. It might be your dad. Whoever. Think about that person, how much they love you. It's a nice feeling, isn't it? Oh, they love me. Times that by a gazillion. And you're nowhere near how much God loves you, Okay. He is 
absolutely passionate about you. And he has all the resources of eternity to bless you with, to take you from a place where you are and to mature you into a child of God that is ever more maturing in spirituality. That is honestly the truth. That is like he's on the edge of his seat going, please just give me a few minutes. Come to me, please. I want to pour my resources into you. I want to change your life and then through you set this city on fire. I really want to do it. We don't believe it though. We don't really believe that's who God is and so we don't really give ourselves to prayer in the way that God wants us to. And the enemy's won. Not ultimately, I know. We have to realise this is who our God is. Prayer isn't hard. It can't be hard. If God is who he really is, the God of the Bible, who loves us with an unquenchable love and has all the resources of eternity to to come upon us in our hour of need and and, and our hour of favour, prayer is not hard. Getting time to pray can be hard. Sometimes battling the thoughts and the distractions. And I have to do, I have to have a bit bit of paper which I'm constantly writing down stuff because I get distracted. Practically, there's some stuff. But the fundamental truth is prayer is not hard. And I know, I know that we live in a world, a Christian world that says that. It's for a few keen people who intercess. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. It's the deep, deep thing that every Christian should grow in. If I had one wish for this church, because I told you, I'm going to grant you one wish that will instantly come true for this church it would be that we as a church individually and corporately are absolutely intoxicated with a love and a passion for prayer you might say tom wouldn't it be like in a passion for mission or you know that they're really even more generous givers or i don't know you know really really loving for one another i will say if you get prayer you get that Do you get that? If you get connection with the Holy God, everything just flows into place. It's obvious. It's like the even in human relationships, when when marriages fall apart and all the other stuff starts breaking down, what's the key thing? Even secular uh, marriage can you know helpers say is communication. If you're not communicating, everything else breaks down, and it's the same with us and God. All those other things flow out of the communion with God. They all flow out of intimacy with him. You know, when you're communicating as a couple, you will find it so much easier to do the other aspects of being together. But if you focus on them without communicating, you're just doing it for somebody you don't really care about. But when you communicate, when you work on being close together, and it's like that, but ten times that, thousand times that with God. God wants us to be a people who connect with him. Because look, in this scripture here, it's not that he even, with, with Rebecca, he doesn't even take the pain away, does he? She's still like, oh, whoa, difficult pregnancy. But what God does is he explains it. <laughs> he just says, it's because there's two boys in you, and actually my purpose is they're going to they're gonna be at war together. Da, 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 da. And she, oh. You see, that's why prayer is so important, because sometimes he does actually eventually change the external reality that we're asking him to change. But what he always does is he changes the internal reality within us. So we see our situation differently. So the perfect peace of God comes again. And so she, because she now knows what's going on, she's able to endure actually something of the pain that she's got in her life. So I'm not guaranteeing if you pray hard enough and long enough, that will mean that all the stuff you're praying about will go away. No, no. But God's grace amidst that time will come and will bring peace. Sometimes he does bring amazing breakthrough straight away. But for 20 years, these guys, in the pain of waiting, God comes upon them. It's extraordinary. This is the big positive to take away. Persistent prayer. Say persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. 
I could preach all day, and I can't, because there's other bits in the Bible I've got to look at. But this is the huge positive thing. Go over it. Look at it. It's massive. We're going to finish in the last few minutes with two negative, two bad examples of what to do that are the opposite to mum and dad. And just notice, this is a throwaway to us parents, mum and dad have got this right, but somehow they've obviously got a lot of work to do in terms of imputing that wisdom into their, into their boys. Because when their boys have much smaller tests of delay, as we're going to see, they don't do very well. Esau's, Esau's failing is that he becomes flippant. Say flippant. <laughs> Jacob's uh, weakness, the thing that he gets wrong, is that he tries to force things. Say force things. So those are the two equal and opposite dangers that, can, that we can fall into rather than passionately going after persistent prayer. Esau then, his test of delay is this. Are you ready? This is almost laughable. In com- on contrast to mum and dad, who are barren for 20 years, okay? Massive, heartbreaking test. What's Esau's test? He's hungry. Can he wait until five o'clock to have his shreddies? You know, it's, 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 it's crazy. Esau, Esau is his dad's favourite. He's Bear grills, okay? He's the tough guy. He's Hugh Pierce. He's out there, you know, straight down to his waist, just swinging through the trees. He's, you know, he's Man Mountain. He's a tough guy. He's loved by his dad. And what we see is he comes in all hot and sweaty, as a lot of, you know, young men do after running around the garden. And he comes in. I do all the time. He comes in and he's hungry. Now, this is the offer, okay? This is the offer that that is available to him today. If you give me your birthright, you can have... Lentil stew. Now, any vegetarians here, please don't get angry at me. It's quite ironic because the text tells us that well, the reason his dad loved him was because he caught venison. I've never eaten venison, but it sounds nice. It's obviously meat. That's all I care about. Esau loved meat. His dad loved meat. They got on well. That's right. So here's his meat-eating alpha male. He comes in. I mean, the scripture is so funny. You know, we sort of think it's all terribly serious. There's a humour, I think, here. He comes in. Can he wait for two hours or whatever until proper time for dinner? Or will he give up the birthright, which was the most important thing in his life, for a bowl of lentil stew? I mean, this is staggering. Now, you think, what's a birthright? Birthright, in those days, was he was the, he was the, the, head, he was the oldest son. The firstborn, that's the phrase. He was the firstborn. And that meant one thing, when his dad died, he became the leader of the family. Pretty good. Secondly, it meant he also got double the inheritance. Really good. Double inheritance just because he was the firstborn. Third, even more important thing, is that he has been born into a family, as he would have been told, by his granddad, Abraham. Guess what? God visited our our granddad, Abraham, and said that through our family line, one day, the saviour of the world will be born. So you can see that, therefore, that it's probably true to say that he should have at least been something you know, akin to actually caring about this amazing privilege of, being a, of having a birthright. And what does he do? It's staggering. He just, he says, okay, good deal. And he gives up the privilege for the sake of lentil stew. When his test of delay comes his way, a really small one in comparison to what we looked at, rather than just waiting, he is flippant. He's cocky. He's had it easy in his life. His father has been favorite, has, been, has, has clearly told him, I'm, you're my favorite. Okay? He knows that. And that place of incredible privilege is so dangerous. 
And I want to say it was dangerous for Esau and it's dangerous for us today. As a people, if you know Jesus, if you're part of this church, we are in a place of staggering privilege. Some of you right now, you're Christians and you've, you've had great parents, you've had a brilliant upbringing, it's just been on a plate for you. I've always known Jesus. And you might be at uni, for example, and right now there's a bit of a test because maybe you're single and you're tempted to have sex before marriage. You're really tempted and it's just like, can I wait till five o'clock to have the meal you know, in my marriage or shall I have a bit of a nibble now? Don't despise your birthright. Don't do it. It says in Hebrews that, that Esau sought, sought to get it back again with tears, but it was too late. For some of you, when you're facing a delay, your tendency, like Esau, can be just to be a bit flippant. Oh, God's sovereign. Do my actions really matter? Yes, they do. Yes, they really, really do. They really do. I heard a tragic story recently of a guy who leads in a, a, a very fast-growing church in Europe. And, uh, and, it, was, and it was growing and uh, it was just, you know, really amazing. He was also simultaneously church planting and starting another church. I met him uh, a few years ago and it was just incredible. Wife and kids and stuff. I just heard a few months ago, he'd, he'd had an affair, thrown it all in. You know, I think, I think he'd left his family, certainly the church he was no longer leading, and now was without their leader. He did an Esau for a momentary quick pleasure. He despised the incredible privilege. He despised the inheritance from God. When we face delays as a, as a church in your life, let me just say, Let's not play games with God, yeah? He's not a domestic cat. He's the Lion of Judah, yeah? Our actions matter. He is sovereign. He redeems all things, but our actions matter. First thing to avoid, flippancy. Oh, it doesn't matter if I really pray. I can just go passive. Don't go passive. It matters. Secondly, and finally, though, we see Jacob has an equal and opposite mistake. His delay his delay, I believe, was this. Now, this is a little bit of my own theory, but I, I think there's at least some possibility it's true. It says his mum, his mum had him as his favourite. And God had told them as a couple that actually the older will serve the younger. Ah, that means that Jacob, my boy, he will be served by Esau. I think it's possible she may have just let the cat out of the bag and whispered to him at some point in his life. And so when the moment comes where Esau's a bit vulnerable, he's a bit hungry... Jacob zooms straight in on, let's get the birthright. And the language there is actually very aggressive. Esau's language is much more gentle. But the language in the Hebrew there with, with Jacob is he's very aggressive. He's a quiet guy, but it's like something come, comes over him and he's just seizing the moment. I mean, it's an outrageous claim. It's an outrageous thing to go for. And this is what he's doing, I believe. I believe knowing that actually one day he will be served by Esau, he is actually trying to force in a fleshly and an earthly way it to happen ahead of its time. It's so tragic because there's no evidence at all to, 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 to lead us to conclude that he needed to do that. God is sovereign. He's in control. He didn't need that to happen. But, he's, but Jacob here, in a moment of fleshness, is trying to make it happen. It's the equal and opposite danger when facing a delay is that we try and make it happen in our own strength. It's the opposite of being flippant and just saying, oh, whatever. It's overplaying our role, as it were, and saying, God needs me to help him. Yeah? God needs me to, to make this thing happen. You know, I've got a call to leadership in my life, so I'll just kind of float around the leaders. I'll just be around there. I'll just help it on its way a little bit. You know, I, I, I know in my life that uh, 
you know, that these promises are over me and I'm just going to gently manipulate the situation to try and make this thing happen. Hey, someone famously said that faith is living without scheming. Faith is living without scheming. We don't need to. See, God's promise was over Jacob. And he didn't need to help God to make it happen. And when we face delays in our life, the, the other avoid thing to do is to avoid trying to make things happen. Again, a massive application is if you're single or you're waiting perhaps to buy a house or you're waiting to maybe start a family, whatever it might be, there can be a tendency sometimes to try and think I've got to force things to happen where actually we don't need to. I got this email just this week from a member of the church and she was talking about this, this very thing in her life. She was talking at first about buying a house. She said, we would have loved a spot of our own to unpack and settle in. But that hasn't happened in the time frame I thought it would. Point being, I have a renewed sense of patience, waiting for God's perfect timing in finding a house. Jesus, in all his 33 years on earth, never had a house. And so one and a half years seems like nothing to wait. I trust him completely. His timing is perfect, as evidenced in two huge ways in my life. First of all, I prayed for a husband, and my husband is more than I could have imagined to pray for. But he came into the picture two years after I thought he would. We then prayed for a child, and she is more perfect than words can describe, but she showed up a year and a half after I thought she would. God's timing is perfect. And if I would have had forced something to happen on my timetable, I wouldn't know the fullness of life that he had planned for me and the family he's blessed me tremendously with. We're called to be a people, knowing that God is both sovereign and yet our actions count, to be a people who actually, like Jesus, is the ultimate example, who give ourselves to persistent prayer. Not just prayer, Persistent prayer, pleading the promises, as the great fathers used to say. You see, in John 5, and with this we finish, Jesus said, The Son, he can do nothing of his own accord. I, I can't force it. But you're Jesus, you're God. Yeah, but I'm also human, I can't force it. The Son can do nothing of his own accord. I can only do what I see the Father doing. And that, I do likewise. Do you see that there's great action? How did Jesus know what the Father was doing? Through persistent prayer through the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, connecting him to heaven's throne room. The same amazing privilege every single person here who knows Jesus has right now. Jesus was one who gave himself through thick and thin to persistent prayer. We need to be a people who do the same. Let's stand, shall we? We're going to respond. Breaking bread. If you want to break bread today, if you know Jesus, he's given us this as a wonderful gift to remember him by, to drink, the, to drink the wine, the juice. We've got uh, wheat-free options up at the front and at the back. I just want to encourage you, even now, if, if God has been touching upon in your life, maybe just one or two specific things here today, maybe you're just somebody who said, you know what, I recognise that the lights have gone on today in my life. I have just been someone who's just believed the lie that consistent and persistent prayer is something, it's something for someone else. And even in these moments, God has just been lifting off you that wrong perspective and saying, you're my beloved child. I love you more than you could ever imagine. I don't promise to immediately solve that thing in your life, but I promise, I promise to come upon you. Even now, why don't you just reach out your hands? I just want to pray for us together as we come to an end. I know that just about all of us in this room, at various points in our life, will be facing these things. Father, wonderful Father, 
Let's just focus on him in our hearts for this last moment. Lord, Father, in a, in a world with so many distractions, so many things on the shelves that we can, we can get distracted by, I want to pray even now for a clearing of the shelves and the product, as it were, of prayer to flood the shelves of this people. I, I, I just right now, where the lie has come in, oh, it's hard. I want to pray now for the simple truth. How can it be hard to spend time with the one who loves us, 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 who loves us? I want to pray now in the hearts of this people, not just in the minds, in the hearts, in the inner being of every man, woman, and child here. Pray deep, deep work as we stand in your presence. Lord, you have given me everything I need by your spirit to go through all the ups and downs of this life. Some of you have been just saying, I'm a, I'm a bit more like Esau. I'm a bit flippant at times. I can just be passive. I can just think, oh, well, Salavi, God's sovereign. It'll work itself. Right now, God's just been lovingly just bringing to you a fresh sense of, no, no, come on. Come on, give yourself to this. Give yourself to this. Give yourself to digging into me, reshaping our lives around this. Corporately as a church, prayer meetings, individually in the private place. Some of us, actually I'm a bit more like a Jacob. When I face delays, I, I, can, I can try and force things. I don't go passive. I go like driven. I'm a control freak. I can try and control, take control myself. Right now, I break that. I actually break that in the name of Jesus. Many of you, that's, that's you. That's, that's your potential leaning is towards trying to make things happen. And it leads to exhaustion. It leads to a tightness. It leads to an uptightness. It leads to actually not the thing it promises, but it leads to a, a deep sense of dissatisfaction. And right now, I pray, let the oil of joy fill this room that we are in your hands. You are the king. You have a plan. You will outwork it as we give ourselves to being with you, to flowing with you, to knowing you. You have made everything perfect in its time. Lord, I pray, even after we break bread, that many would come and just connect themselves with our, with our ministry team and just seal it today. Lord, today, that Esau thing in me, Lord, break it. Lord, that Jacob thing in me, break it. Lord, I don't want to be flippant. I don't want to force things. Oh, Lord, I want to be, I want to be like your son. I want to be like Isaac and Rebecca, who are just continually, continually persisting in loving, connecting, drinking from the God who has made all things available by the presence of the Spirit. We love you, Lord.